about 10 seconds ago uh, from the community. So, uh, so uh, uh, once uh, Zemmelawa and Demi delegates finish uh, with their camel release, they hand it over to uh, uh, to us to integrate into into a platform. So the the, the slides here, as I said, have been. Uh, uh, received a vast number of contributions from uh, a number of people, so I'm just delivering uh, the work, but I'd like to thank all of the, the people who actually did a lot of hard work over the last year to make this possible. Um, so just to give you a recap of what the platform is, when I stood here last year, um, I described what the essence of building a common platform is. It's, it's tooling that works together in a consistent way uh, to work beyond just the core compiler, but also into full development lifecycle. And also, we need quantitative metrics to judge if we're doing a good job or not. Uh, are we helping with the builds and, and tests and documentation and so on? And also use this platform to help us keep agile. If we're going to keep evolving OCaml to add a lot of the new features that uh, Zevalo had just described, uh, how can we judge the impact of these changes and evaluate them in a quantitative way? And the ultimate goal here is to build a sustainable open source community. So we want to be able to continue to develop OCaml code for the next decade and not just get burnt out by um, heroic release managers or individual contributors all trying to uh, build these systems and uh, spending a lot of time. We want everyone uh, to contribute to the health of the, the platform and also to build automatic tools where possible to uh, simplify this. So just out of curiosity, how many people here use the OPAN package manager? Ah, oh, it's a few. I was going to leave if, uh, if uh, no, one, no one had answered. But this was the, uh, you know, the big effort in 2013 was uh, to release the first iteration of this package manager. And it was a, just a lot of effort in 2013 just to, uh, you know, to get the basics in place. And we attracted um, uh, a lot of interesting uh, initial effort. And we migrated that to the community. In 2014, we saw some uh, very significant releases. So uh, we've been, we've been uh, trying to keep the releases uh, controlled where possible to reduce the burden on upstream packaging. Uh, we saw, first of all, OPAM 1.1, uh, uh, the triple one, uh, which saw most significantly uh, some very high quality contributions from uh, Roberto de Cogno, who, oh, Robert, he's over there, who gave us uh, a better interface to the Mancusi tools to have uh, a very stable solver. And 1.1.1 is now present in a lot of upstream distributions like Ubuntu and, uh, and Debian and so on. So once that was done, we shifted into, uh, into uh, developing a new 1.2, which I'll describe today. Uh, but in the meanwhile, we just released a point release just to make it easier to integrate into upstream distributions. And also the release manager uh, shifted to Louis Gesbert from uh, Ocaml Pro, relieving uh, Thomas Gazzini of uh, the burden of, uh, of uh, dealing with all the bug fixes. And below, we uh, have seen an increasing number of uh, pull requests and issues and reports from the community. And we're just about managing to keep up with, uh, with, with the load there as well. But the most significant part of Ocaml 1.2 is that it's the platform release. And so I thought I would describe some of the, uh, the, uh, the thinking that's gone into the new features, first of all, by giving you an overview of uh, what we're doing. So uh, we really, really wanted to simplify the workflow where possible uh, for developing our camel code. Uh, we should not expect people that use the platform uh, to understand all of the little details of our tooling. We just wanted to uh, kind of guide you to the next steps where possible. Uh, the first thing was to get rid of Boolean formulae and error messages. This is a, this is a small but significant, uh, significant thing because as soon as it's the first um, uh, experience you have of a camel is some massive traceback um, uh, from a SAP solver, then that's not ideal. So uh, we, we uh, put quite a lot of work in, uh, into interfacing with the external tools and actually explaining the results. And this is actually uh, uh, even better than Debian's uh, uh, solutions in some cases. So uh, we're hoping to upstream back some of these changes into the, into the wider uses of these external solvers. Um, after that, uh, we also just increased the query interface. So as the OPAM package database grew, 
um, people want to do, do more and more interesting queries. So right now, for example, say if I'm building uh, something like Mesh HTTP library that has more and more users, uh, we can query the reverse dependencies recursively. So I can see exactly what the impact of me changing a core library is and actually do local recompilations to figure out what's going on. So just the ability to query and understand more of uh, the OPAM interface is, is very, very useful and important. Um, and then also, these are all little features that, uh, that help improve our day-to-day -day, uh, use of OCaml, is that we can clone the source code for any OPAM package just with one command. So I can say, oh, I want to use Camel on the web, give me the source code, and it'll automatically download the archive and be ready for use. Now remember that OPAM also supports a distributed workflow, so Git and Mercurial and so on, and it, this automatically figures out where it would get the source code from. For example, it might be doing a Git clone, and it will just, uh, make sure, it will just take care of everything and make sure it works. Similarly, all of the metadata that goes into this, if you can just cut and paste that. Uh, although we are modular in our programming, we, we, we're not that modular in our packaging, so cutting and pasting OPAM uh, descriptions is quite common. Uh, and so in this case, you can just show the raw information and, uh, and, and off you go. So in terms of health, uh, we just keep a track of all of the graphs in our, uh, of all the number of packages submitted. And we've been doing pretty well, actually. So uh, last year, there wasn't quite enough data to, to figure out what the, what the overall trends were. But we've, we've generally seen a steady growth uh, in the number of, uh, total number of packages in the, in the ecosystem. So uh, this is a, a nice kind of linear curve. The little bump there was due to, I think, the Mirage OS release, where we just imported a ton of libraries. Uh, but generally, uh, things are going pretty well. And the fact that uh, it's going up just means that people are not just putting packages in, they're maintaining their packages, which is obviously important with new releases and so on. But you know, things, uh, things uh, start looking a little bit uh, less exciting when you start looking at the number of contributors. So I was hoping the number of contributors would, would increase, but while it's seen steady growth and we're, uh, we're very happy with it, um, it's not growing as fast as, for example, the total number of packages. This means that a few people are contributing a lot of packages to uh, the system. And then when you look at the unique number of packages, this is the set of uh, uh, packages with uh, every version counted only once. You can see there's starting to be a slowdown in the input to, uh, to the OCaml community, just in terms of uh, have we, have we uh, leveled out in terms of uh, getting all of the existing system, uh, packages that were not in OPAM, and they've all been put in OPAM now, and so are we just starting to slow down. So we took a long, hard look at this uh, when working in OPAM 1.2, and we decided that we needed a completely new workflow that was just much easier for new people to use, so that we can hit the next uh, step of people contributing and getting involved without being uh, heavily into OCaml. We, we want to grab the next stage of, uh, of users. So uh, let me just show you this new workflow to show you how simple it is. So uh, Louis Gespert from OCaml Pro just gave me uh, a new package called OCP Real, which is to build a relocatable, relocatable compiler, which will make it more compatible with uh, zero install that we just saw. And so in this case, we'll, we'll just CD, P, CD to the uh, Reloc uh, package, and we'll just, we'll just pin uh, this and give it a name called OCP Reloc. If you did this with OPAM 1.1, it would just give you an error. Now what happens is that it just detects the fact that it doesn't exist, and it will just create a new package. So the, just the act of pinning something that doesn't exist before uh, gives you the opportunity to create metadata and just to get on with package construction. And it's pinned, and it's all part of your OPAM universe now. And once that's done, just like when you're editing uh, pseudo files, for example, uh, an editor is brought up with a sensible base template. So you don't have to cut and paste existing stuff. You just get the current best of breed uh, OPAM template to fill in with all of your metadata. So you just can, can get on with the job of, uh, of filling it in and then go back to editing your package. We're just kind of trying to stay in the background as much as possible. Now, some things to notice, I'll come back to this you know, later on in the talk, is that we have new metadata fields in OPAM 1.2, particularly for bug reports for home pages uh, and also uh, for uh, uh, development repositories as well. So this metadata is increasing the amount of 
uh, cool stuff we can do with, uh, with OPA. And then the other thing you'll notice is that we also have predicates for build and test only dependencies. So if you've uh, recompiled a Camel find and you suddenly find that core and uh, what 10,000 other packages are recompiling, this will no longer be the case when uh, build only dependencies <coughs> or test only dependencies uh, do not uh, force a universal recompilation. So a general improvement in metadata through, uh, through this and the adoption on the basis of uh, new packages. And you know, if you've ed ever edited a pseudo file, uh, it's a, a rather Baroque DSL. Uh, and uh, similarly, OPAM can be uh, unfamiliar to people who are new. So anytime there's an error, rather than waiting for you to update, as soon as you exit the editor, it will just try to parse it, give you location information that can be uh, parsed by Emacs or VI. And uh, you can just go back and retry editing until you get something that's correct. So we're just trying to close the loop on, on errors. And then when you're done pinning, any dependent packages automatically get uh, reconciled and updated. So the idea here is that you know, I've, I've, I've created a new package, I've declared some dependencies, and if my universe of dependencies changes, then it will just figure things out and, and take care of business. So uh, it, it will always make sure you have a consistent environment to work with. So in this workflow, we've now been able to create a new package and just get on with, uh, with working. Now, when it comes to sharing this, uh, things also get significantly easier. So we've just created a new OPAM file, and we can just add that into our repository uh, and, and source version control it just as we version control um, any other uh, configuration information for the package. <coughs> and then other developers, if I want to share this package on GitHub, for example, or through other uh, version control uh, mechanisms, can simply clone my source repository and pin it directly. Or they can even OPAM pin git colon slash slash. And OPAM detects the existence of the OPAM file and just makes sure that all of the metadata is reconciled. So in general, we're just sprinkling OPAM uh, metadata around packages and auto-detecting its presence so that just this very, uh, the action of putting it there will, uh, will give OPAM the necessary hints to get on with uh, installing dependencies and moving out of the way. Uh, similarly, we can also, uh, once you put this metadata in, um, if I want to bug fix someone else's code, uh, I can simply directly clone it. Uh, I can say OPAM source OMD minus minus pin. This will download the source of OMD, pin it locally, and let me patch it and then take care of all of my local dependencies. So with one command, I can now just modify uh, an existing package, uh, do, do my uh, bug fixes or feature improvements, locally test it, and then share it back. With the new metadata for dev repo, we can even pin it to the development Git version as well. So you can just grab any kind of uh, remotes, uh, shift your universe entirely to a development uh, bleeding edge version and, uh, and uh, get on with things. So these are all really cool features, and uh, we were struggling when it came to this talk. Because we were, oh, we've done all of this work, but we need to release an OCaml platform 1.0. That's what we wrote in our, uh, in, our, in, our, in our abstract, and that's what we have to do. But then what we have here is this develop, what we're actually spending our time on is improving the tool that we release and the tool that we want to maintain. So what, what's actually really happening is that uh, rather than trying to construct a separate OCaml platform, we realized we're really building a set of tools around OPAP. We really have just released this one thing that's an interface to uh, the wider package universe, and we want to build um, a set of tools around OPAM that provide a modular workflow. By modular, I mean we're not going to force people to use any one component, and we're, we're providing the infrastructure to uh, develop, publish, and maintain our camel source code around this engine that is, is proving to be successful and is, is, is taking off, and also to work online and offline, so we can work both on the internet, but also in corporate environments. For example, such so as Citrix and uh, uh, and, and other companies that use OPAM, uh, they want to work inside their corporate firewall. So nothing in this is forcing people to go online. And so the old, when you think of the OPAM platform this way, it's actually pretty good because uh, it, we, can, we can realign all of our work around the tool we've already released. 
You can also have a backronym. The OPAM could also be the OCaml platform, uh, if you think very hard. <laughs> That's right. Um, uh, and, uh, but it, it gives us the ability to, uh, you know, to actually start communicating. So the first thing we did when doing all of this work was uh, just internally synchronize with a new blog at opam.com.org, and we really want articles from people using OPAM in interesting ways just to start sharing tips and tricks. And really, it's just a matter of communicating what we do with OPAM. So we restructured OPAM 1.2 fairly fundamentally to support this modular uh, approach of programming. So OPAM is normally just a command line tool, but it's just a thin layer of command line parsing on top of an OCaml library called OPAMlib. And then we have the data, which is the OPAM repository, which is the online uh, repository of all the information. And the first thing we did was we just used OPAMlib to build a little tool called OPAM Publish. And what OPAM Publish does, uh, I apologize for the small font there, we, we had a last minute screenshot, uh, that's very long, thank you, Tom. Uh, the single step publication just requires, well, it requires two steps, actually. The first step is uh, called OPAM Publish Prepare, where uh, you simply just say OPAM Publish Prepare, give it the name of the version of the package and the source code, and it automatically downloads uh, and creates a, a metadata template based on uh, the OPAM metadata you constructed, and then you submit, which sends it to GitHub. But of course, you can build another submission for any other uh, publishing uh, platform that is not GitHub. But we've just automated the entire process, so you don't need to do a checkout and a Git clone and WordPress, and all of that is taken care of behind the scenes. Uh, so once that's done, uh, the second uh, uh, bit of restructuring is that we're now starting to add more and more tools around uh, OPAM to build this platform. And the next thing we did was we took OPAM libs and we built a new uh, library called OPAM units. And what that does is that it decomposes uh, any uh, uh, OPAM library into the constituent findlib components that form it. And so findlib is a package manager for all of the individual components. And OPAM units gives us a nice functional interface just to fold and iterate over findlib packages. And so we did a massive bulk build of, uh, of OPAM uh, using, uh, using uh, automatic build systems. And we've committed all of the findlib files uh, through mechanized me uh, builds. And we keep those in sync automatically as part of our housekeeping. And then what that does is that it lets OPAM dot output a complete universe uh, of documentation uh, into the OPAM repository. So the OPAM documentation, our goal, uh, I actually talked about this last year, uh, was to have unified documentation across packages that handle cross-referencing um, just automatically. So you don't have to worry about it. Uh, OCaml doc's been a, a stalwart tool for um, over a decade, but it is time to uh, have links on, on the internet. So, uh, <laughs> it's a while. It, it is, but it's very hard to do. So, uh, while I was uh, quite flippant last year, it's been a hard year of engineering to replace a couple of I have a lot of respect for the tool and, uh, uh, and, the, and the job it's done for the last, uh, last decade. The reason it's hard is because not all packages can be installed simultaneously. There's fundamental constraints in our universe. Uh, and also, resolving module inclusion statically leads to just a combinatorial explosion of, um, of type substitutions and so on and so forth. And it needs to integrate with the whole tool chain. So what we've done is, well, firstly, is that I have these little URLs that tell you how to get involved. Everything can just be expressed as an OPAM remote of development packages. And here we have a development remote for the platform. So if you're interested in switching into platform mode even before it's released, you can grab the bleeding edge and just suddenly switch into, switch into our world. And our approach is quite simple. So in OCaml 401 and 402, uh, we've been increasingly uh, putting out the type uh, abstract syntax tree into the, into the uh, distribution. So that's all uh, put in place. And we generally propagate through extension points and, uh, and external tools all of the, the documentation information into the system. And then we just need to resolve these OCaml names uh, from once we take these type ASTs into linkable URIs. And so just to give you a preview, uh, you can go to ocaml.github.io slash platform bit. It features OCaml.org integration, so it has a nice same look and feel. It includes a uh, notion of finelit packages, 
and also module docs. Uh, and uh, we haven't quite finished styling yet, so you can, but it also does feature cross-references between uh, packages. If I, uh, if I can convince this thing to switch, I just wanted to give you, well, a sense of what this is. Uh, oops, no, this is, not the, uh, this is what Damien Dolgan is just showing. Uh, no, so what we have here is, um, uh, it's a slightly different styling because it's a small resolution, but we have a URI library. You can see all of the versions of URI are exposed. You can see all of the metadata around it. I was the original author. Unfortunately, then, David Sheets came along and rewrote my library, so he took maintainership for, uh, from me. So this OPAM history just gives us also the metadata disks as well. We don't have much metadata now, but it figures out what's happening. Rudy Gerber joined the project, very grateful to him for his patches, and so on and so forth. So it does kind of give us the ability to, uh, to motivate people to have metadata just because uh, we'll, we have a nice human-readable diff. And then afterwards, you have um, all of the linkable metadata up here as well. So um, URI doesn't have many dependencies, but you can see, for example, it's cross-referenced to the uh, sexplit library, and then the sexplit library has all of the, uh, the parsing information and so on. So I encourage you to go to the, uh, the, the website there and just uh, browse it and see what's going on. And David Sheets and Leo White, who's doing a tutorial right now, have been, uh, me, have been working very hard on this. So that was a great time to uh, give them feedback. So the current state is we have a working prototype, and, uh, but it's a working prototype with a lot of pieces pulled together um, as part of this remote. And our timeline is that in September, we're very, very close to having a, a workable release for Camel.org. Uh, we're going to put that live. And then in November, we're going to uh, issue an OPAM switch that's more supported. Uh, the key reason we did an OPAM switch is that this actually modified um, uh, the, uh, the Camel compiler to have a doc switch. So we need to run that past the development team, make sure it's, uh, the, the patch is sane, uh, and also just work through various design issues that came up on the uh, development list, but too late for a 402. It came up uh, the day before feature freeze, which is not a great time to, uh, to bring up new features. And, and, and the other thing that uh, we're, we're doing is that we're adding support for building custom websites. So that uh, James Reed, uh, who published Core, and Async, Citrix, who published uh, Zen API, Mirage, which is an operating system that I run, all want to build custom websites around the same tooling to publish their universe of remotes. And this should just work from the same tools. And the reason for that is that this growing set of modular uh, libraries is that we've had OPAM doc, and that feeds back into this tool called OPAM the Web, which uses libraries that are increasingly factored out. So anyone can grab these, build their own HTML styling, and just deploy them all. So we really have made the whole system very, very modular uh, and with good support for data sources, libraries, and just running normal camel code. And all of our uh, outreach stuff, like the blogs and so on, are just in Git repositories. So uh, we're going to blog about those uh, in the next uh, next week. We've started blogging for the last two weeks. So this really means that you can just write a bit of a camel code to start participating in the community uh, and, and make things happen. Now, there's two talks here. They're using an interactive compiler written in JavaScript. So this OCamelJS tool just works. If you just take a bunch of OPAM remotes as described, uh, you type in make, and then before you know it, uh, if you have an OPAM switch describing your compiler, you can just publish a pure JavaScript version of your compiler that uh, shows the experimental features. So we have better error messages. Uh, I believe there's a talk coming up soon. And also, uh, Leo White's Modular Implicits are all just published on uh, Andy Ray's website uh, to, uh, to just work. So this is a fantastic way of, of sharing experimental compiler patches. And crashing in JavaScript is, uh, is less painful than crashing uh, in a compiler. You do occasionally crash uh, in the real world. So one of the, uh, one of the uh, interesting, uh, Mark Schimmel got this working about uh, 20 minutes ago, I believe. And uh, so it's a good example of using OPAM to test very experimental patches. In his case, he's got sufficient GDB output now that you can debug the couple compiler with complete type reconstruction and call function calls from native code that are a couple function calls. So, uh, and so if you want to test a patch like this, uh, then you can just put this as an OPAM switch 
uh, uh, do block builds and figure out exactly what's going on. So it's, um, it's very, very nice to be able to test the impact of some of this. So I just wanted to emphasize it's really a polish. It's something that's often ignored, but we're spending a lot of time just making it easier to package and install. It seems so minor, but it's just vital for adoption of these systems. And we have binary releases on a number of platforms and rewriting documentation. So please do give us feedback about anything to do with what you think is unclear and so on, or better still, just submit a patch on, on the various uh, GitHub things. Uh, Damien Dolliguez has been submitting a lot of pull requests, uh, fixing stuff during an OCaml release because he tries to build the whole of OPAN. We're making that easier by supporting uh, containers and, and virtualization to build the entire OPAN repository mechanically from one command. Uh, this uses you know, isolated, sort of isolated Linux containers, uh, but also Zen to provide very strong isolation. Uh, and parallel builds are tracked with all of the logs, oops, tracked in GitHub. <laughs> so I'm running out of time. So I just wanted to say we've, we've done all these bulk builds, we've done a ton of stuff. One more feature that uh, came up last year, and I was very reluctant uh, uh, to commit to it last year, but Toma has been building, uh, along with Daniel Bosley, something called assemblage. And build, builds in OCaml are just very complicated right now. And uh, we've had a number of tools to kind of show us, show us the way. Uh, OS has been the most prominent. And we just wanted an EDSL that's a nice, simple EDSL to describe OCaml projects. And it's a declarative approach that just says, uh, just using OCaml as a host language, you can just declare a project as a set of libraries and binaries that are composed of compilation units. And crucially, not have a concrete syntax. So instead of OSS, which provides a concrete syntax and generates code, we just uh, build fairly simple tools. And then we build more tools that introspect this data structure we've built um, uh, as, a, as a project author and generate build rules uh, that are separate, for example, for make files, for Jenga, for Omake, or whatever build system we're using. So this is really a project description mechanism uh, that is so lightweight that it integrates easily with OPAM and other tools and, and starts untangling the, the Findlib, Oasis, or Camel build dependencies that have crept into pretty much every project um, out there at the moment. Uh, this is extremely alpha. It's so alpha that every slide has the word alpha on it. So uh, it's something we're developing actively and we're looking for feedback and so on, but it's not uh, uh, fully supported. And uh, I just wanted to give you a quick sense of what it looks like. It's just no Camel DSL. You can de describe packages and so on, population units. And it fully supports all of the nice editor tab completion and so on. Uh, and Tomah Kazini is leading this uh, effort at the moment. And it does work uh, well enough for several people to be using it, but we're all prepared to uh, rewrite our build descriptions because uh, it might change at any time. But if you have a burning need for a simple build system, uh, and uh, you can find Tomah, I highly recommend having a chat and getting a demo of Assemblage because uh, we're using it today. We want to pass the Daniel Bunsley test, which is he wants to uh, replace all of his nice little standalone libraries uh, with this workflow, which is a nice dependency-free workflow for, uh, for many things, uh, and also do a beta release by the end of September. So in conclusion, uh, we, uh, I presented uh, slightly over time an ongoing effort to uh, build a modular set of tools, libraries, and data that are all written in a camel, of course, uh, but give us nice, easy ways to uh, write functions that map over uh, a global library <coughs> source code in an effective way. And uh, OPAM provides the workflow interface to this, uh, to this platform. Instead of a single big, big shot release, we've decided to switch this ongoing release model where we're always working. We're using our own tools to expose our development repositories to the outside world. And we're going to uh, start being more active in the platform list, which uh, was started a few years ago. But it, we never quite knew what it was for. But now it's, it's clear that it really is the mailing list to discuss this universe of tools that have been forming from the community, some built by my group in the Camel Lab, some built by Camel Pro, but a lot of them just built contributions from uh, external sources, for example, Andy Ray's code, and the extremely exciting uh, uh, search API that June uh, just uh, described to us as well. We would really want to take all of these and integrate them uh, into one conceptual framework. 
So uh, thank you very much uh, for listening, and if there's any questions. Here's a good starting point. 
you know, you can use urine, we'll keep it stable for six months. Yeah. Um, which it seems like you might want to be able to do separate from publishing your own remote, right? You might want to have the notion of like, you know, stable sets that people could make circumstances have integrated with me when it could be used. That's right. So uh, my hope, for example, is that commercial entities such as the Camel Pro, uh, to be clear, I have no uh, formal connection with the Camel Pro, uh, could in fact uh, provide such commercially supported. Uh, now, my observation, though, is from talking to the industrial users, is that each one has a domain-specific use. So um, uh, let's see, for example, is very Windows-centric. So presumably, their their package set would be would also for Windows. Uh, Citrix uh, needs very long-term support because Zen survives for a very, very long time. Uh, and so they want ancient packages uh, with security updates. And so each of these, there isn't, there's no one default set that makes sense. And we have to be very clear, we've learned it from the Haskell community. So their attempts to do a Haskell platform uh, burnt them out because there's a few people contributing a large packet set and trying to maintain this uh, massive growth that they've seen recently. And the platform just started getting delayed and a few people are trying to maintain and uh, stop cabal dependency help. We don't want to get in that situation. I think we need to learn from, from the past and, Try to stick to our strengths of domain-specific uh, libraries where possible. Now, but I really do hope that we do have to start having an opinion about standard libraries. <coughs> I've used them all. I have no particularly strong opinion right now. They all have downsides, but they're all being worked on. Uh, we've seen this particularly. It, it is encouraging to see the core and async uh, features all uh, all of the blockers for that being removed. Similarly, with LWT, uh, the addition of multi-core camel, for example, presented this morning uh, is helpful. So I very much hope to stand here next year, uh, if my talk is accepted, and, uh, and, to, uh, and, and to provide a, a more positive view on this. But I very much hope, for example, Gabriel is behind you, uh, supporting uh, who's the maintainer of batteries. We all need to get together and have a forum and talk about this. And we're very happy to host such a forum at Camel Labs in, uh, in Cambridge University. Okay, last question. Uh, you talked a bit about uh, each package having its own open metadata in the bit but right now there is something which is quite nice about this thing called open repository where we write the data, which is that if I do something stupid in my data, there is this bot named ADSM, I think, that will tell me what's wrong about it. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so, a flesh and blood. <laughs> <laughs> the, uh, so, so what's your, how do you think about uh, having uh, the metadata more with with the node, close to the source file, but then still having these checking tools and Okay. So it, it, this is only for bleeding edge. So a very common problem is that you're developing a library, you add a new dependency, and the stable open metadata has no idea of the new dependency, so your universe breaks. It's very, very common. So by having the bleeding edge version, the development version, uh, in the in the development remote, we can simply take snapshots of that metadata into the global open repository, and that snapshot is just a version. Of so you just view the world's OCaml code as one massive Git tree that we version control. It's just that there is separate routes for each of the packages, and we occasionally take a, a subtree snapshot into OPAN repository uh, to, to freeze it forever. And that subtree snapshot includes the metadata and the source code and any local patches that we add. So... Oh, yes, sorry, that's a big one. So what Thomas said was you can uh, subsequently, without releasing a new library, fix the metadata. Uh, and that's uh, quite painful at the moment. So for example, the Oasis is particularly um, uh, bad that we have to rev about a thousand packages to fix a future compatibility problem. For example, safe string results in lots of warnings. Hundreds of packages break because of warnings as errors. I'd love to just remove that feature from the because it just breaks a, a ton of uh, future uh, future work. Just as they know. <laughs> right. No, well, it's very important for development, right? <coughs> it's just a, like C, you're not going to use that in, in released uh, uh, compiler, in released packages, but people often do. Okay. Thank you.
because build systems are so complicated. We're going to fix build systems. <laughs> <laughs> I'm optimistic. That was a future-making statement. Well, okay, so we'll look forward to it.